You're listening to the weekly podcast of Bethel Bible Church and Pastor Eric Barton. We're so glad you've joined us today. And as always, you can find more information about the church at our website, BethelBible.com. You can find us on Facebook and even follow us on Twitter at Bethel Bible. Let's join Sunday service now. Well, good morning. I, um, I am Jeff Bice. I get to be the missions pastor at Bethel. And I uh, wanted to uh, just tell you a little bit about me so you would know who's talking to you this morning. I've been, uh, my family, we've been Bethel members uh, for about nine years. We came to Bethel just as a happy family, went through Discover Bethel, and we sat in the chairs for a year or two. And then Ross, who is our senior pastor, asked me to come on uh, staff and help uh, oversee and coordinate some of our mission things. So that's been Oh, for about the last seven and a half, eight years, I've been uh, doing missions here at Bethel. I'm married to Stephanie. Uh, this is our 25th year of being married, so I have to think of something um, really special to do for this year. Um, so if anybody has any good ideas, let me know. Um, and uh, I have three kids. Uh, two of them are in college. I have a son uh, who is a junior at the University of Alabama. And I have a daughter who is playing soccer at Samford University in Birmingham, Alabama. Now, I have two kids in Alabama, and I don't really know how that happened. I went to the University of Texas. I thought some Texas blood would be in my children, but they've abandoned the state and headed to Alabama. I guess um, if you look at football, you could under so the football game, if you're an Alabama fan, was a really great day yesterday. And if you're a Texas fan... Uh, it was not a good day, so maybe that's why they're in Alabama now. I don't know. But um, anyway, I'm happy to be able to open the Word with you this morning. We're going to look at uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. So if you have your Bible, your phone, whatever you have. Um, oh, my third child, sorry, I just <laughs> forgot about her. Um, Maddie is a junior at Robert E. Lee, so that's my two in Alabama, one and Robert E. Lee. Thank you, Maddie, for being my daughter. Uh, I do love you. Um, anyway, we um, are going to be in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Really, this passage is a great, one of my favorite passages. It's about reconciliation and the ministry of reconciliation. Um, we're going to hit this section or this passage in three chunks, but um, let me read it all. Follow along with me. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. But what we are is known to God, and I hope it is known also to your conscience. We are not um, commenting or commending ourselves to you again, but giving you cause to boast about us um, so that you may be able to answer those who boast about the outward appearance and not about what is in the heart. For we are beside ourselves. If we are beside ourselves, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. For the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all. Therefore, all have died. And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sakes, sake died and was raised. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, 
not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So this passage, um, it's full of great theological truth and really practical, how do you live your life uh, material. So it's a, it's a favorite of mine. So I also learned growing up in church that whenever you see therefore, you have to see what therefore is therefore, right? So this passage starts off with therefore. I want to roll back just a couple of verses and tell you why the therefore is there. Um, it says in verse 9, So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. So what's on Paul's mind as he's writing this section to the church at Corinth? It's this realization that he's going to stand before God. It's this consciousness that he has of who God is. Um, he is motivated to do what he does because of the fear of the Lord. It says, therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, Paul says, we persuade others. So the fear of the Lord, this summer we've kind of been in a wisdom series looking at the Psalms and Proverbs, talking about what it is to be wise. Well, we, we find in uh, Psalms 111 verse 10 and in Proverbs 9 verse 10 that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And then just a little later in Proverbs 1, it says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. So knowledge and wisdom, they're wrapped up in what it means to fear the Lord. And fearing the Lord is kind of one of those um, terms that it's difficult sometimes to understand. What does that mean in my daily life? How do I fear the Lord? Paul says that his view of God, how he sees and knows and understands that fear of the Lord, that dictates everything else about him. So I found this quote um, a few years back that I really love. It's from A.W. Tozier. It says this, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. Worship is pure or base as the worshiper entertains high or low thoughts of God. For this reason, the gravest question before the church is always, God himself. So what comes into our minds whenever we think about God, that's the most important thing about us. How we see him, how we know him, how we understand God, that dictates everything else about us. Our view of God determines this. Well, the summer uh, usually means some road trips. Uh, our family often, we drive most of the places that we go. And um, usually while we're on a road trip, as the dad, I try to have some time where our kids are unplugged from their headphones and iPads so we can have a little interaction. Um, I usually, I love games, car games, right? Doing the alphabet and what you see and all these things. So one of the games that I uh, have done recently with our family is to really ask them to think. So my kids all are a little bit older and so they can think some and I asked them uh, once to help me 
think about this truth as a theory. Does our view, how we see God, does that affect other things in our life? And so everybody, um, usually when I suggest the games, they're like, Dad, we don't want to watch our things. But finally, I get their attention, and we play the game, and they participate. And so this particular uh, challenge that we had, uh, one of my kids said, "Um, how we view God determines how we treat our friends. That's a good thing, so let explain. And so the, the thought was, if we see God as the creator of every person, and every person is created in God's image, then how we treat other people, it relates directly to how we see God making them. So if we see them as valuable, we believe that God makes valuable things, and we can treat them with honor and dignity. That's good. How we see God determines how we treat our friends. Also, somebody said, um, how we see God determines what we think about natural disasters or or calamities, things that um, are huge and out of our control. And so the thinking is, if God is truly sovereign in control of all things, then he allows natural disasters, calamities. He He permits those for his own purposes and for his glory. But God, in his sovereignty, allows these things to occur. That's true. How we see God determines how we see disaster. How we see God also determines how we do our homework. Someone said, you know, if I believe that God is excellent and he wants things to be done with excellence, then how I work and do the job that I'm supposed to do, it matters. I need to be doing everything for God's excellencies. I probably said, you know, how I eat and how I take care of my body, that is also determined on how I see God. If I believe that God created me and he gave me this body to to take care of, to steward, well then what I put into it and how I exercise it, that matters to God. So as we talked, I, I think everybody agreed and we had enough proofs you know, it, it affects our courage. It affects our um, love. It affects what we do to entertain ourselves, what we listen to, what we watch. How we see God, it affects everything in our life. If we view God as distant, as detached, as uninvolved, then we live our lives in a certain way. If we view God as present and real and involved, then that impacts how we live our life. So I I really agree with Tozier that how we live our life, it impacts every single thing in our day. Our quiet moments, our loud moments, all of these things. And I think Paul believed that. And that is where his fear and respect and reverence for the Lord came from. And with that in mind, he said, I want to persuade others. So the key word in my mind for this first section is persuade. Paul wants to persuade because of who he knows God is, what he believes to be true about him. Let's look on, finish this section. Um, What we are known to, uh, in verse 12, it says, what we are known is known to God, and I hope is known also to you, uh, to your conscience. We are not commending ourselves to you again, but giving you cause to boast about us so that you may be able to answer those who boast about outward appearance and not about what is in the heart. 
For we are beside, if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. If we are in our right minds, it is for you. So what was happening in Corinth is Paul came in and he presented the true and pure gospel. He helped establish the church. And then afterwards, people, false teachers, and people were coming in and they were trying to distort the truth. They were, they were presenting a false gospel. And they were trying to discredit Paul. They would tell um, about his outward show and things that were uh, evidently crazy that Paul would do. And they were trying to look at the externals. But Paul reminds the Corinthians, hey, don't be persuaded by the outside. Look at the heart. Look what's on the inside. Realize that character and who you are on the inside is what's really important. Paul said, don't let these um, false teachers deceive you and impress you with external show. For what's on the outside doesn't matter. In uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, Paul has this other familiar verse. He says, don't look at the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. So Paul wants the uh, the Corinthians, and he's reminding us to make our judgments about what's in the heart, to see past the external show. We work hard at presenting a good front, making the outside look good. But Paul says it's really what's ma what matters is on the inside. Moving on, verse 14 to 17. For the love of Christ controls us, because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, and behold, uh, the new has come. So this section starts to make the theology of the gospel come clear. The amazing thing that happens when the old goes away and the new comes. The fact that we are a new creation. But at the very beginning, we see this um, passage. It says, the love of Christ controls us. And other translations say, the love of Christ compels us. That word is a really interesting word. It's used also um, when Jesus is traveling with the disciples on the road. And you remember the crowds were pressing in all around him, and the woman touched him, and the, the power he felt go out. So Jesus is walking along, and there's crowds pressing all around. There's this, you've probably been in those kind of situations, um, trying to go into a concert or in a line. There's throngs of people, and there's, they're pressing in. And, and really, if you're going to try and go any way other than the way the crowd is going, you're going to have a really difficult time. Well, that's what Paul is saying. He's compelled, he's controlled by the love of Christ. It's surrounding him on all sides. It's pushing him, it's, it's moving him. And that love of Christ, he identifies as the moving force in his life. That's the motivation. It's the love of Christ. Sometimes we can be um, distracted by things uh, that pull our attention away and, and false motives that get us to do things that are, um, are not in line with the love of Christ. Our hearts, when we are moved and compelled by the love of Christ, are to walk in obedience, to do things that please him. 
And, and we know what that is because of God's word, the truth of his scripture. So I want to tell you uh, about this summer. One of the mission trips that Bethel took was a trip to Italy. Uh, we have some missionaries there, Rob, uh, Robbie and Rose Roberts. They've been missionaries from Bethel for quite a long time. They're church planters. So they planted one church up in Milan. It's been turned over to the nationals, and they are it's a thriving, great church. They're now planting another church in Mosciano. And so the Bartons um, went on that trip. And let me tell you about one of the things that we do on, on these trips. Um, in Italy, it's a normal part of their educational system. It's not so much here, but one of the things that they do is um, they give uh, oral exams. So someone will stand up and and present something, their case, whatever it is they want to present, and the listeners then will have an opportunity to ask questions, to examine them, to make sure they really understand what they've said. And so that's a normal part of the culture in Italy. And so one of the things that the Roberts have said, hey, we can um, allow you guys to come in and, and be orally examined. You can tell about your walk in spiritual things, about your pursuit of Christ. You can give your testimony and then the Italians can ask you questions and interact with you. Well, um, the, the members of our team did that this summer, and the opportunity came for Eric and Susan to give their testimony after dinner one night. And there was uh, a woman named Josie, you guys know her, and her parents uh, were there, and they listened with interest to the testimony that the Bartons gave. And afterwards, after they were interacting and questioning back and forth, Josie um, had this question. She really answered it herself, but she said, why is it that God has illuminated you? And before they really had the chance to answer it, she answered the question herself. She said, oh, I know, it's because you read the Bible and we don't. She saw some great truth that the Bible God's Spirit is the thing that reveals to us how we can please God, what we do when we're compelled by the love of Christ, what our actions are. So we need to read the Bible. Surprise, right? We, we have to know what God says to know what he wants. We do a lot of things every day. Uh, we wake up, we brush our teeth, hopefully. Um, we drive to work, we spend time, there's things in our routine that happen every day. So my encouragement to you is to add in God's word into that. The Bible has to be a part of our daily routine. One of those things we do just as much as we brush our teeth. You know, if you have um, the Bible app, one of the things that I've done lately is uh, playing the Bible through my car as I'm driving around, just the Bluetooth. Driving around, it's I'm there, and I'm, I'm able to hear God's word um, in, just in my heart and mind. It's a, it's a simple, I mean, everybody drives around. I think most people have a smartphone with a Bible app. Why not play the Bible? Or maybe just turn off your radio and have pure silence. And it's really, really quiet in the car with no radio. And use that time to commune with God, to talk with him. There's plenty of opportunities, ways that we can build in the daily habit of having God's word in our life. When we have God's word in our life, we can know how to obey him. We can know what he wants us to do. But in verse 16, we see something very specific that Paul says that we can do to obey him. He says, 
do not regard anyone according to the flesh. That he, Paul used to regard Christ that way, um, but not any longer. So what does that mean to regard according to the flesh? You know, when we look at the flesh, we look at those external things. We look at race. We look at um, economic background. We look at educational status. Um, we look at the things that are on the outside, and we make our judgments by those things. Well, Paul says, let's not look at those externals. Let's not regard anything, anyone according to the flesh. But let's regard people according to the Spirit. It's, again, being able to see the unseen things. Really, there's two categories of people, if you want to categorize. There are those who are in the family. They're in the kingdom. They are followers of Christ. And there are those who are not. That's it on the bottom line. There's all other kind of fleshly differences, but when it comes to the Spirit, those are the only two categories. And that, it leads us into the reality that in verse 17, we can be a new creation. That is an amazing thing. If you stop and think about it for one minute, the old is gone and the new is come. We get to be a new creation. Well, the second section really talks about um, what Christ's love does for us. And so I would summarize, capsulize this section with the word compelled. The love of Christ, it compels us. So the first section talks about persuade, the second one being compelled. Let's wrap up this section. Uh, verse 18 to 21. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So a key word in this is reconciliation. And that's this whole passage, I think, the good news that we can persuade others, the reality that Christ's love is the thing that compels us, it all leads us to this concept of reconciliation. So what is reconciliation? You know, if you're a, a numbers person, then reconciliation may mean what you need to do to your bank account to make sure that what you think you have is actually what the bank thinks you have. And there's this process of reconciling your bank or your credit card or any kind of money. Well, if you're not a numbers person, someone else does that in your family, then when you think of reconciliation, you probably think of relationships. Reconciliation is how do you restore broken relationships? Well, Paul, the type of reconciliation he's describing is the broken relationship between us and God because of that sin. And this is what is so amazing about what Paul says, that he made him to become sin so that we could have the righteousness of God. This is the most amazing exchange ever, the great exchange. Our sin, all on Jesus. His righteousness, all on us. We, you and I, as we get up and walk out of here, we are walking in the righteousness of God. We get that. That is an amazing bit of news. That is an amazing 
announcement that should be heralded on the top of every building. We get to proclaim that our sin is no more and that Jesus' righteousness is what we walk in. And Paul talks about that. He says that that reconciling has happened. That's what God did. He reconciled the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. But get this. We, you and me, we have been given this ministry of reconciliation. So you have maybe all sorts of gifts and talents and abilities, but this one thing I know, that you have been given the ministry of reconciliation. This is from God. You get to tell the amazing good news that we can be made right with God, that what was broken can be mended. That is the best news. There, there truly is no better news than that we can be reconciled with God. Well, not only reconciled, but this concept of we get to be ambassadors. So what's an ambassador? You know, I, I travel a lot internationally because of the missions world that I live in. And one thing I want to make sure I know is where is the embassy for the United States of America? When I'm in some country, I want to have a, an idea of where that address is in case things go wrong, in, in case things go crazy. Where's the embassy? Why do I want to know that? Because at the embassy, there is a representative of the government of the United States. The authority, the power that represents the USA has a spot in whatever country I'm in where that authority reigns. And so I want to know that where that is. Well, this is the amazing thing that Paul says, that we get to be ambassadors for God. He chooses us somehow in our world. He chooses us to be his representatives. We get to proclaim with all authority that he has reconciled us. That is an amazing, awesome privilege that we have to be ambassadors for Christ. So it even says, goes so far to say that God makes his appeal through us. God is the one who's appealing about reconciliation to others through us. So this begs the question, and um, question I have to ask myself, is who, right now, am I helping to reconcile? Who is it in my life that I'm being an ambassador to? You know, I work on staff at a church. Most of the people that I interact with are Christians. If I don't work real hard, I can find myself in a Christian bubble. And you know, we live in East Texas, in Tyler, and so it could be for you that most of the people you interact with on a daily basis are Christians. If that's the case, then you're in a bubble. We have to be intentional about reaching out and building friendships with people that need reconciliation. We have to put ourselves into those situations. So. The people you work with, people in your neighborhood, in your kids' schools, there's people, I promise you, in your life that need to know that great news. And those are the people that God allows us to be an ambassador to. Those are the people that need to hear the good news of reconciliation. So just to conclude, I want to remind us of uh, this section. I, I, I couldn't decide what is the key word on here. 
So you'll have to decide. It's either to implore or to appeal, but God is making that appeal through us. So we are persuading, we are compelled by Christ's love, and we are imploring, appealing to others to be reconciled to God. So here's the four points of application. Your view of God, it determines everything else, period. There's nothing that falls outside of how you see God that affects every step you take, every breath you breathe, every interaction. It all depends on how you see and know and understand God. Number two, you need to see people the way God sees people, not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit, right? Two categories, those who are in the family and those who are not yet. And our privilege is to be an ambassador. So number three, the motivation, what compels us, the force, the press around us as we move through our day is the love of Christ. That love, that overflowing passion for Jesus is the thing that moves us to obey him. And finally, since you and I, we have the ministry of reconciliation, who are we reconciling? Who are, the, who are the two people that you're praying for that God has put you in their life to be an ambassador? As if he is making his appeal through you, which that's what scripture says. That's what's happening. Well, thank you. And please join me as we pray. Lord, thanks for the privilege we have to look at your word and to be encouraged to live our lives in such a way that we are shouting from the rooftops how great you are, the privilege uh, of reconciliation. Thank you that you loved us so much that we get to respond to you with love and that love that compels us to reach out, to look out, to have our eyes up and see the opportunities we have to serve. So I thank you for your word. Thank you for our time together this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks again for listening to the podcast today. We hope that you were blessed and encouraged. And if you have any questions or comments, we want you to let us know. Simply send your thoughts to questions at Bethelbible.com. Thanks for spending time with us and be sure to join us next week on the Bethel Bible Podcast.